0: Welcome to Core to Core, a heart to heart series where sick women interview other sick women who create content. In today's episode, I sit down with Jisleen Core, a researcher from the Sick Research Institute who helped create a report from the State of the Pun series that looks at Sikhi and abortion. Listen in as Jisleen talks about Barney, history, and red, as well as the opinions of thousands of Sikhs who tuned in and completed the personal survey that helped create this research. Today I have Justine Gore from the Sikh Research Institute joining me from DC. Justine Gore is a researcher. She's done some amazing projects with the Sikh Research Institute. She's passionate about these projects that create Comfortable Spaces for All Members of the bonth to Learn from One Another. She's helped Sikhi with their Sikhi and Me Too series. And she's here today to talk about her latest research project, which was a state of the month report on Sikhi and abortion. Welcome, Jasleen. Thank you for having me. Okay, so uh, we're going to pause here and we're going to play... The Sikri, and you can go to um, the Sikri website and their social media and you can see the video that goes along with this. We're going to play the audio from the video that summarizes the report and you get to hear another uh, member of the Sikri research team who also worked on this project in Nikor talk about what this report actually is.
1: Sikri and Abortion Abortion is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy most often performed during the first 28 weeks. Abortions have existed since ancient times with records found in China, Egypt, Iran and the Roman Empire. Because abortions have long been practiced, they have also long been the subject of considerable debate. The new report by the Sikh Research Institute titled Sikhian Abortion, fifth in the State of the Punt series, explores the divisive and nuanced issue of abortion from the Gurmat perspective based in Bani, Twarik, and Rahat. The report is reinforced with the findings from a global survey of more than 1,200 self-identified Sikhs who were asked to consider the issue of abortion and their personal opinions related to the topic. Understanding the issue of abortion through the lens of Barney points to an apparent statement on judgment, the idea that no one person is responsible for condemning any other person. Instead, one must be introspective and informed in their own decision-making, as stated in the Guru Granth Sahab. Twari contextualizes abortion in the Guru period by addressing female infanticide and sex selection tracing both the practice and punting responsibles to the practice through time. Rehat addresses the practice of sex selection in the lived experiences of the global panth and understands it as a symptom of a larger system of oppression that frequently puts women at a disadvantage. From dowry practices to domestic violence. It also explores global abortion statistics, focusing on the regions of the world in which the largest percentages of the Panth reside. The responses to the survey helped further understand how the Pant thinks about these issues today. Although a Gurmat perspective, considers the act of consensual conception to be divine, the majority of respondents believe life begins at some time after conception. 36% of the respondents believe that health issues are the number one reason people seek abortions, and over 64% of respondents believe that the person who is pregnant has the authority to make the final decision when it comes to the procedure. The report wraps up by providing recommendations on both the individual and institutional levels to address the underlying nuance and complexity. Individuals are strongly advised to seek medical, psychological, legal, and spiritual support depending on their unique situation, and to seek that support from someone they feel comfortable with and not judged by. Institutions are asked to cultivate spaces of non-judgment within the community, provide access to the necessary resources and services related to sex education and contraception, and case-by-case confidential counselling to individuals in need. Overall, it's clear that every member of the Panth can play a part in cultivating an environment of non-judgment and support. That was Inni
0: talking about this State of the Panth project and report on Sikian abortion. So Jasleen what is, for our listeners, can you summarize, what is the State of the Bunt
2: series? Um, so the State of the Bunt series is a series of reports on sick matters um, that we present to the global sick community. So we focus on things either affecting a large section of the Bunt or a perspective on critical issues facing humans at large. Um, so we usually we survey self-identified Sikhs on their stances related to that issue, and then we outline a sick perspective based on Gurmut. So Bani, Tavarik, and Red. Um, and then at the very end, we outline recommendations for uh, individual Sikhs and Sikh institutions on how to best practice an approach to s- sort of strengthen bonds within the community related to that issue. Um, so the first one we ever did was Who is a Sikh? Um, the next one was Um Then we did one on... Uh, Gurdwaras, the function of Gurdwaras is a Sikh institution. And then the most recent one before this was on a Galtaq side. So what is our relationship with that institution as well? This one's a little different because it's dealing with a a global issue um, that is both, you know, within the Pant and outside of the Pant. So, yeah. And, yeah. And when you say
0: it gives a sick perspective, what does that mean? So, are the series giving recommendations for practice and for folks who haven't had a chance to read all of the previous ones? What are the kind of conclusions they come to?
2: For sure. So, um, I think our if if one was to read through all the reports, the theme is definitely that we are not attempting to be prescriptive in any way. Um, so. recommendations is a very strong word it's not it's not an accident that we use that word Um, and that is because I mean at Sikri sort of our 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 voice and the way that we sort of interact with um, Sikhi and with uh, research and our and the things that we are coming to learn is that we don't want to put information out and say, okay, you're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do this. Um, This is how it is. And there's no other way. That's also why we say a Sikh perspective instead of the Sikh perspective. Um, Because ultimately we're not people of the law. Um, The gurus didn't write the Guru Granth Sahib as a series of laws. Um, And so we want to sort of honor that and make sure that when, if people should choose to come to our, our, um, Projects or our papers and reports uh, looking for answers that they're given the tools to come to conclusions themselves instead of being told what to do.
0: And I think there's a fair uh, amount of redirection to that, and you do reference that in everything you do. So, where people are looking for those things, um, while Sikri doesn't prescribe things, they do honor and redirect people to those firsthand documents.
2: Definitely. Yes.
0: So what made you want to do this? So you're talking about the other reports and their topics. This one's a bit of a departure. Where? <laughs> what was the initial conversation? Uh, what was the driving force and why do a state of the bond on abortion?
2: Man, um, I think, you know, I, I sat down with uh, her nursing, who helps direct the sort of the topics. And um, we basically, we made a list of, all of the things that we think are common questions, questions that either he's been asked or I've been asked either by uh, other six or by people outside of the month who are like, wow, what do, what do six say about this? Um, And it was definitely on the list. We acknowledge that it's a little bit more of a controversial uh, departure from what we've done. Although the other reports have their own, you know, (laughs) their own sort of controversies within them. Um, But I think also, I mean, you know, I'm a young woman. This is a question that I think about a lot. Um, And conversations that I've had with my friends a lot, especially in the context of, you know, growing up in the US um, under the Trump administration, there is a very clear push um, within like the conservative party to, uh, to bring like Roe v. Wade, which is our Supreme Court case um, to back to the Supreme Court. Uh, So we have a lot of Situations, especially in the last year and a half, where like really hardline conservative um, abortion bills have been brought to the table in many states. Um, And actually, before we, when we decided to write this, it was it was actually not as bad as about five months in, (laughs) um, where there was like a series. I think like ten different states had um, put up some version of like a heartbeat bill or um, made it so that anybody who underwent the procedure would uh, could be charged with murder. Certain states had, had brought that to the table. Ohio's bill, which is still up in the air is like 700 pages. And it asks wow. doctors to like replant, um, ectopic pregnancies, which can't even wow. come to fruition. And it's like literally an impossible procedure. And, um, they're asking doctors to do that. And if they don't do that, then they can be jailed. So it's just a lot is happening in the U S especially right now. Um, That has really made me think about this question um, more so than I have ever before. And it felt like I think that was common for a lot of like Sikhs in this context where like I was having these conversations with my peers around my age um, in the context of Sikhi. And when you Google abortion and Sikhi, there's not a ton of resources. Um, There's like ABC page that says like, yes, Sikhism is against abortion. And it's like, okay, well, that doesn't tell me you know, where you got that conclusion and (laughs) what, what any of that is based off of. So um, it just felt really relevant for our, for our time. Um, For sure. And I think
0: I, as someone who does interfaith work and I'm a representative of the Sikh Feminist Research Institute, I get this question a lot and it seems like, um, There And and I think it's really important that you highlighted that you're coming from an American perspective, and I'm coming at this from a Canadian perspective, because there is something specific to our geography and our moment where this issue is not looked at as a healthcare issue. And there is a deep connection to um, religious questions and moral questions around this issue. And I think that in part, reflects the way politics work in our countries as well, um, where things have become polarizing and issues like this are used for political gain. And even though uh, Canada doesn't have an official separation of church and state, the United States technically does and then doesn't in practice, um, these things end up uh, becoming these huge questions um, that become the responsibility of religious communities where there are so many other Elements to them, and you're right. I've had folks ask me this question a lot because uh, they're it's just like, what's the answer? What does your religion say? How do we look at this? And I, for me, the polarizing way of looking at it—being either pro-choice or anti-choice or pro-life—hasn't worked in the way I've needed to talk about this from a sick perspective. Um, so we'll come back to that as well. Why this? dichotomy of either being this or that doesn't really, uh, isn't a fair conversation for South Asian women or for sick women. But um, I want to start with talking about what was your process? So you knew that this was a relevant question. It was politically a hot topic. It's something that you've come across in your practice. Um, how did, when you started to do it, what was your process? What was your methodology?
2: Yeah, so it's a great question. I think the, the very first thing that we did once we had chosen the topic was before we wrote anything down um, was just to like, I, I remember just like talking to everyone I knew about it. Like, what are the questions that we ask about abortion? What are the things that we um, sort of direct our conversations with? And so we came up with a series of sort of commonly asked questions that would eventually turn into the survey. Um, but there's a lot of sort of, We don't like to rush that process because we want to make sure that we're like including the nuance into the conversation, make sure that we're not being too biased in the way that we're... So
0: timeline-wise, when are we talking about? When did you start this?
2: (laughs) I think we started in, I think, probably last winter. So it's been about Mm -hmm. a year. Um, The writing didn't take as long as like an entire year. I think a lot of the, the sort of unseen behind the scenes stuff is designing the survey and doing all the pr stuff for. It. So I haven't actually touched the paper since probably I want to say this summer last summer um, or no this past summer sorry um, like august um, but yeah it's definitely like not and that's that was part of the conversation too because it it was a longer timeline than the other reports and I said I said to her and they're saying I said you know I don't want to rush this because I want to I know getting it right is a high bar to set, but I don't want to sort of um, rush it and do things in a way that feels sloppy or feels like I'm not doing this topic justice because it's so it's so important to so many people. <laughs> it just felt like we couldn't um, we couldn't just rush it for the sake of getting it out at a specific time. Um, and luckily with this, it's always relevant. I mean, all of them are, always, <laughs> but, uh, but it's actually become more relevant as time has, has gone on, especially in the U S context. So that was a big sort of, that's the initial part of it. And then once you have those guiding questions, then the research starts to, to happen. So um, looking at a ton of different sources on like a sick perspective on abortion, a sick perspective on sex selection, which we had decided from the very beginning we did need to talk about because those two things do get conflated or, um, or made to be the exact same thing in, in conversations. And so, and also that's a unique thing about our context too, is that that is really common both in, in South Asia and in the diaspora. So, those were two big things that we were researching. Obviously, Gurbani doesn't say anything explicitly about abortion, but we knew that there were rathnamas about, um, about infanticide. We knew that there were janamsakis about um, infanticide. Well, there's one quote from a Janamsaki where Grunanik does talk about it. Um, and we looked at the Guru's lives as examples. But it was actually very difficult for especially those that section of Sikh history um to figure out what exactly we could use um mm-hmm. and that's why the report does talk extensively about sex selection and female infanticide um because not just because those issues are still like running rampant um but also because that's where the majority of the sort of the sick history stuff is situated um and so that was a big sort of complicated thing too is like is this Um, is this something where we can use those sources to make conclusions about abortion or should we just make conclusions about sex selection and include it in the abortion paper? And that required a lot of disclaimers, but that's eventually what we decided. Um, which, you know, I think does a little bit more justice to our context because I didn't want it to be too sort of, um, focused on the Western context or what we assume is the Western context, uh, I think that, especially in the survey results, um, you know, we did have. I think the three countries that we got the most responses from were the U.S., Canada, and India. And so you know, we have to make sure that if we're going to call ourselves a global, a global report, that we actually take those things into account. Yeah.
0: So can you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, because you do have, um, like, you did the the triangle of things that Sikri, if folks are not familiar with the Sikh Research Institute, everything that is put out is checked with um, Garbani, with Vardik, with history, and with death, and those things very clearly show up in this report. And then the State of the Bunt also, um, the State of the Bunt series also do reach out to folks that identify as Sikhs to incorporate their voices into the report. Um, so, what was your uh, methodology in terms of accessing those voices and uh, who showed up and whose voices are present and to elaborate whose voices are not present in the data you collected for this.
2: So, um, so when we put out a survey, usually we try to figure out like how it, how can it spread in a way that feels um, like we're getting enough of a pool of data with this report specifically with this survey, because of the topic when we were keeping track of its sort of spread and how many people were filling it out in the first sort of three days of the two week release of the survey. um, It was very clear that it was growing organically because people were sharing it more than they'd ever sort of shared any other one of our surveys before. So that was really um, helpful in getting the survey out. Um, We usually run Facebook ads, but (laughs) Facebook did not allow that because of the topic. You can't put money behind or like promote, any kind of content that's related to certain topics. So um, that actually was a setback, but because of the organic growth, we did end up getting a good number of people. Um, I need to find the number. Uh, That's
0: fascinating. So just as a note, Facebook won't allow you to promote a survey that's about abortion. Yes.
2: But Um,
0: Facebook will um, allow paid political content without fact checking it.
2: Yes, of course. Okay, okay just confirming. <laughs> does, that, does that not make sense? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we ended up with uh, 1,277 self identified six. We had a lot of people responding to the survey, especially from South Asia, who did not identify as six. Um, so that was another interesting thing, um, but obviously we don't we don't include their responses in this self-identified pool. <laughs> so, uh, one thousand two hundred and seventy-seven self-identified, six from twenty-eight countries. So, um, you know, I think with with this methodology, because of especially because of the platform through which we are releasing the survey, um, we know, especially from past reports, that. The data pool skews definitely towards the like millennial crowd and younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we had a pretty sort of an even split, fifty-four um, percent female. Uh, so I think that's that's pretty. That's there's nothing uh, too uh, <laughs> too, yeah, big red flag about that. But um,
0: we understand. So just just to clarify, like, so you did have you had like your mailing list? It went out on that. There was some snowballing. So folks. Yeah through word of mouth, sent it out. Um, And I just want to clarify, while you do use the word global as an adjective in the report, so you say that you're representing the view of sex globally, you did not have a methodology that was able to provide representation for the way that sex do show up statistically. So if you're saying like 54% female, but we know that there are... um, more males than females in Punjab. Like this wasn't an exact representation, definitely not globally, definitely not with the specific demographic.
2: Yeah, and that's not, um, we don't claim to represent sort of all six with complete accuracy, we're (laughs) trying our best. Um, But I think the, the important thing is that even though it is a small data pool, given the number of countries we have representation from uh, most of the places where the diaspora is the strongest. So the U S Canada, India, I mean, that's not diaspora, but great Britain, Malaysia, Australia, Singapore, Germany, Denmark. So those are some pretty big um, sort of diaspora hubs. And do mm-hmm. targeted sort of advertisements when it's available to us in in the, I think, top 15 diasporic um, sick population. So we do try to do that in our methodology because of the topic and the restrictions based on the topic on social media and things like that. It did complicate things a little bit, for sure. And, um, yeah. and, and that's And the millennial
0: and that you mentioned being viewed.
2: Yeah. So like... Uh, folks
0: that have uh, internet access. So this is not, it's not going to be representative of older folks or folks that are um, not literate. Uh, So we have folks in Punjab who are six and don't have access to the technology or the the language. So there's some shortcomings shortcomings in terms of methodology.
2: Definitely. And I think that's important to point out. Um, I also think um, the part of why we I mean, I know this is part of why we put out the raw data so that if people have further questions about that, all that stuff, they can download the raw data, see exactly who's coming from where, um, because we don't include every single sort of survey analysis within the final report because there's just not enough room. Yeah. Um, so that's a way for, if people have more questions about, um, what exactly the demographic look like, who is saying what, um. That's all available in the raw data. It's one big old spreadsheet. <laughs> that's
0: that's a, such a great point um, because I've, my, my research brain got really excited when I saw that as well. So, if you go to the SICRI website, and um, so it's SICRI.org, and you go to um, the section with the State of the Month series, you'll see under the SICRI and abortion series that you can download the report, but you can also download. The raw data. So I think that was uh, really beautiful that you welcomed all of those questions, acknowledged the shortcomings, and um, you handed over that to people to uh, do their own work with, which is really exciting. Okay, so we have your process. You sat down. This was an important thing. You came up with your methodology. You combed through Gurbarni. You combed through history. You combed through Retname, You incorporated. Uh, the voice of folks that you could access in Punjab and in the diaspora. What is, what do you have? What does the report say? Um, What is some, what's, if you had, I know we already, uh, folks have already heard Iniqua's summary of some of the sections of the report. Um, But if you had to add your own pitch to it, when you're describing this work to folks, what does this report say?
2: I think like first and foremost and this was in the summary is that we did look at the question of when life begins which is a pretty you know pretty commonly asked question in this debate um and i don't i mean i don't like the word debate in this conversation (laughs) um and so and and it is clear that like within gurbani the the sort of consensual act of creating life is seen as this divine thing that actually like the divine is involved in in some way and is looking after us in the womb. And we looked a lot at the, the womb imagery and how that, that sort of lo- location is used in Gurbani to point to a time where we're like sort of most connected with our creator and sort of free from the <laughs> deception of this big, bad world. And so um, that was really important to sort of center ourselves in the port. And I think even for, you know, for me as like a, as a, person coming with my own opinions, that was really important to like center myself in like, okay, this is not about my opinion. This is about what does Gurbani say and then how do we move from there? But I also think the important thing that we that we sort of pulled out of Gurbani that is so often repeated um, is about value judgments and about the sort of the ways that we tend to do that and how that's not really being asked of us, but we tend to do it anyways, because we're humans. Um, But I I think that that's a really important point is that where the conversation lacks nuance, especially in Western conversations, um, where it's like, okay, you're either pro-choice or uh, pro-life and there's no in-between and there's no, um, often there's not even room for conversation. I think this, um, something that we learned in our work and in our conversations and that we wanted other people to gain from reading the report was that. There's a way to have like discourse about this and to disagree, like, you can send mm-hmm. yourself in the same things and also come to some different conclusion. Um, and mm-hmm. that's okay as long as there's like respect <laughs> in the conversation. Um, and and that's I think something that's probably in a way makes people uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. because we sometimes I think want to just be told this is right and this is wrong because sometimes it just makes all of this being human a little bit less overwhelming and a little bit easier to sort yeah. of off, but that's not, that's not really, I mean, I don't know if it, this is the way to say it, but that's not really the Guru's style, you know, like, it's, <laughs> that's not the way that it, that it works really. Like there's, um, there's always room for conversation. Um, and I think that was a big takeaway for me because I think I sometimes play into that, especially in like the, sort of political social discourse that I'm surrounded by. I play into that very easily without even knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a big thing. I also think the focus on um, sort of sex selection or feticide, um, female feticide is important because for two reasons, uh, probably more than two reasons. But for me personally, because of my context, that's not something that I knew much about. Um and then also because based on the survey results, it was clear that especially in the South Asian responses, that people were equating the equating like abortion with um sex-selective abortion, which in the report we make a distinction between those two. Mm-hmm. And really contextualizing the statements that were made during the guru period, the actions of the gurus during the guru period in that context, I think is super important. Um so we, we drew heavily from Malika Gore's work on the issue of choice when it comes to mm-hmm. sex elective abortion, because even that word, I think, doesn't really, you were talking about Western feminism. I don't think that yeah. that word works for us. Like, it's not as simple as choice, because there's so many other things that we are sort of sitting in the context of that don't allow for such a sort of lack of nuance um, yeah. when it comes to this issue. so. Um, you know looking at i think the biggest thing that i would take away from the report that i'd like other people to take away because i can list all the all of the sort of things that you can read but i think the biggest thing is um i think we tend to think about this issue in such black and white terms no yes. matter where we are and because of that we also think about it in a very specific sort of context so like when people think about abortion they're like okay i'm thinking about abortion between a man and a woman in a like healthy married relationship. Um, they respect each other. They, you know, there's all these things that we see as like the sort of the normal baseline, but we never think about abortion in the context of, um, like what, what sort of social group, the person who is thinking about that procedure belongs to. Um, and what is the relationship between them and the person with whom they, they have, Produced life, <laughs> what, what, like, what is the context of every single person that we're talking about? And then the conclusion is that you can't give blanket rules or blanket, um, this is allowed and this is not allowed, because that's not how humans are. Like we're, we're
0: no, and I think that's so important. So there's a couple things that I think are so important. There, one, this binary conversation of being pro-choice or pro-life is a conversation in English. It is a product of Western feminism, which has failed women of color over and over again. And the um, keeping abortion legal, while that is a feminist argument in a global North context, in a South Asian context, it will always be legal because it is a tool of patriarchy because it leads to sex selection. Um, And so, That conversation, this like, are you on this team or are you on this team, doesn't work. Because if I do the feminist thing and I fight for pro-choice, I'm creating pathways for uh, gender selection and for feticide. Um, So it's so important that this... And using Sikhi and using Datnam and using uh, Denim Sakian to talk about that context finally offers a voice that says that binary conversation is not for us because I do feel silenced in that conversation a lot because I can't come forward and say, well, that I'm a feminist, but that's not my answer. My answer is not to say that I'm pro-choice and that's a very difficult and very nuanced conversation. Um, and I also think that the report touches on things that are so important that we don't like to think about, which is um, regardless of what I think in my Sikhi and what I know from my Guru and what I know from my raith, things are, um women are still going to um, have abortion. There's the things about like we know um, that having um, sex outside of marriage is like a budget regret We have rules around that, but abstinence-only education doesn't work. That's also a truth. And how do we operate as sex in a world where we are trying to keep our kids healthy, where we are trying to keep women healthy, where we are trying to reduce the harm in the world with our truth and our guidance and what we have for ourselves um, not being enough. Like it it can be true that I have this lifestyle where I don't believe that you should have sex outside of marriage. It's also true that people are going to have sex outside of marriage. And it's a fact that abstinence only education doesn't work. And it's a fact that making abortions illegal only leads to illegal abortions. Like it doesn't stop abortions from happening. And we never really get comfortable confronting the fact that our beliefs are not enough to stop the harm that happens in the world. And so I just want to give props to the work that This report does in opening up a conversation that is complicated and not binary and asking six to reflect on the fact that your beliefs about the world do not change um do not are not enough to reduce the harm that's happening in the world
2: yeah and i think like i just the the issue about the binaries is something that i sort of, I could like tangibly feel myself like growing from conversations around that. And that realization as I was like writing the report is, I think that it's, I mean, it's what I said before, it's easier sometimes to fall into those binaries because they seem clearer. But then the issue is that there is like a disconnect between the reality that we're living and the beliefs that we have and just saying, well, I believe it's this way and this is how it's supposed to be. But then people around you are like suffering as a result mm-hmm. of our like sort of inaction. That doesn't really sit right with me. And so that's part of why we like included statistics from, I think the top 10 diasporic populations. So Um, within the red section there's just a whole list of different statistics that are related to abortion and in some cases sex selection um, divided by country uh, because we wanted people to really situate themselves in like the lived experiences of people who can get pregnant or people who can undergo the procedure in in many different countries Um, Uh because if we don't think about it in terms of complicated real life, I think we enter into a pretty dangerous um, binary-filled conversation that doesn't really do much. Um, and I think that's part of why the, the report maybe does make people uncomfortable, because you have to sit in your discomfort and like actually think about these things in a way that maybe we haven't really come to terms with thinking about. Um, and I think, yeah, to that end, I th- there's a really interesting
0: um, moment of cognitive dissonance in the report, and I wonder what you think about this. Um, so we know from data that there are, um, especially in Punjab, that there are um, there's sex selection that's happening, and for every thousand boys that are born, there's 15 or more girls that are missing. We don't have that a uh, natural balance that occurs in gender, and these. Um, these numbers are talking about sex assigned at birth and not gender. Um, So when you see things in the report, like when self-identified six rank their reasons for um, why they think abortion happens, sex selection actually showed up last um, in the folks that you surveyed. Um, Do you think that's an issue of a lack of representation like rigor in the methodology. Do you think that's an issue of cognitive dissonance like no matter who you would have interviewed, we're not ready to admit that. What does that data say to you that folks are living one thing and ranking it differently?
2: I think this is a hard one and I think uh, it could it's probably a combination of a few things. I think there's a lot of people in um, who maybe are self-identified sex who maybe don't know the prevalence of, of that um, in our community. I think that like, that's a very real thing where people live in their bubbles and that's part of why we did want to talk so extensively about it in the report. I also do think that there's an element of shame or not wanting to talk about it. Um, I can just share, like, we, we just put out the sexuality survey a couple of months ago for the next report on Sikhi and sexuality. And we got so many people, um, Messaging us, emailing us, contacting us in any way. Um, basically saying, like, why are you doing this? Like why hmm. would you bring this conversation to the public sphere when it's a private matter? Um, interesting. And I think that it's possible that there, I mean, I know it's like this is all conjecture, but it's very possible that people don't think that that's a thing that we should be talking about or don't see it as something that we should we should admit. And then I don't I don't know if that's like a conscious, decision, like somebody sat down and took the survey and said, well, we can't talk about this, so I'm just going to rank it last, or if it's like sort of a subconscious thing that we do. Um, But I think it could be a a combination of those things, because it's not that we didn't have, I mean, India was our third uh, largest sort of data set population. So um, Mm -hmm. I think it could be a combination of those things. Uh, But it, it was something that we thought was a little odd for sure.
0: That also brings me to one of my other questions, which is what has been the public reaction? I know, um, I remember when you did the Sikian Me Too, uh, it was a webinar, I believe. <laughs> uh, I remember the, uh, reaction was strong. And folks believed that we did not need to have a Me Too movement in Zaki. And they believed that, you know, talking about violence creates violence. And there was quite a significant backlash, which I thought was Further proof as to why we needed these conversations, and I thought was the um, best promotion for your work <laughs> um, that they could have offered. So um, you you put yourself on the line here, and you've publicly talked about abortion.
2: Uh, what has the response been? It's actually surprisingly been all right so far. <laughs> um, I think the report came out during a little bit of the a little bit of a lull of a time. I think like mid November end of November. So. Um, we have had a couple of people like comment on our on our social media saying that you know it's it's uh, clear that abortion is not allowed in Sicily. Why are you doing this um, on our like YouTube and Instagram and things? But um, I've gotten a good number of emails from people who are who either haven't finished reading it, so you know to be <laughs> determined what they actually think. But people who are like excited to read or people who have read it and are happy that we're that we wrote about it. Um, so there's actually been a lot of positive responses, which I know it feels horrible to say it's surprising, but it is a little <laughs> surprising. Um, I also think that, like, especially amongst six, my age, like millennial six, a little younger, a little older, like uh, I guess anywhere from the like fifteen to forty five range, um, I've gotten a lot of people either verbally or finding like my my social media and messaging me saying like, "Wow, this started a lot of." conversations between like me and my friends or this has made me think about this issue way more and that's that's our that's our goal it's not to like have somebody walk away and say now i know the answer it's to have people walk mm-hmm. away and say, there's a lot we need to talk about like there's a lot okay in- so what do you make of that criticism that this report says
0: a lot and then doesn't say anything mm-hmm. it doesn't answer the question
2: yeah well i think i think that what i said before and probably at the very beginning is that we as like a, as a research institution, our goal is not to give like feed people answers. Our goal is to make resources more acceptable or not acceptable, accessible for people to find things out for themselves. Um, And to understand that, like, as human beings, we are products of our context, we are products of time and the way that we interpret things in one moment can change in the next, depending on our lives. So, so this idea that we have to give people one end all answer doesn't work because of, for multiple reasons, part of it is what I said before about like the sort of infinite ways that this issue can come up in different people's lives and their context. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think part of that is like staying true to this idea that um, we, I'll take it, I'll take it to like Asakibar because I've, we've been working on it, but if we're, we're part of this vastness, right? Grunanik talks about this vast thing that we're a part of at the very end of Asakibar talking about not, not always knowing sort of the ways of ekonkar. um, mm-hmm. and how we're all these, Uh, vessels and our behaviors can make us imperfect, but the actual vessel itself is not imperfect. So in that context and in the context of just like, I think the overarching idea of like Ikonkar and oneness and being a part of this big thing that maybe we don't always understand, we have to take into account that there is a ton of diversity, both in context and opinion. um, And, people's experiences with this so i think it wouldn't really be doing i think as a team we think it really wouldn't be doing justice to those core sikhi principles to say this is allowed or this is not allowed and that's the end of it um yeah ideally if we're going to talk about like sort of this even the strategy of the guru period of individual um sort of growth and change over time to lead to like mass institutional change, um, I think that that comes from having these conversations, thinking about these things, talking about these things with your friends, um, and struggling with it in a way that maybe feels uncomfortable and not always satisfying the way that a end all answer feels satisfying. But I think that that is way more sort of productive um, in the long term. Because it it opens us up to this sensitivity that maybe we didn't have with those binary conversations before.
0: I think it's also interesting that that from my understanding, I'm on the um, uh, board for SICRI as well, the advisory board. It's not the mandate of SICRI to give answers. It's a research institute. It's the mandate is education. Um, The State of the bunt series are a reflection of the State of the and. There uh, we wouldn't expect mandates from uh, we wouldn't expect other research institutes to provide answers like this. Um, there is a role in the bond for like within the debt for providing answers and a uh, is so clear on how that's used and how that's reflected back and honors and respects that. Um, and I think one of the beautiful things about this report when I read it was that you could read yourself into it. So you could look at it and bring that Bonnie and the conversation like into who you are and build that relationship, which is essentially your relationship with Gurbani should be unmediated. Um, And it does the report does uh, have gurbani it has it's very clear it puts the actual uh, gurmukhi and gurbani at the end so you can read it directly it's very clear that those are um interpretations by her and they're saying, so they're not presented as neutral it does a lot of work of helping folks come back to the guru and come back to that bani and and see what they become when they're in relationship with that. Um, so I guess just to wrap up, what? how do you expect this to be used? What for you is either the raw data or the report? Um, what is your hope for how people can be in relationship with this, um, how they can participate in this conversation moving forward? What are your hopes for this?
2: Man, I, I think uh, there's probably a long list, but I'll Try to keep it short. I think part of it is, I mean, we've had some uh, professors who study um, six studies or who teach it or who are interested in it contacting us saying that they think it's cool that this is a thing that we're doing. Like we, we don't see policy papers like this that often. And I think there are ways for institutions to use those. There's ways for academics to use those. Um, but really, I think from, for us, the focus is on the bunt at large, um, And so, yes, having a policy paper would be great for later on if we decide to, I don't know, to do something with that in a more formal setting. Um, But the important thing, I think, for us and the thing that we've seen as a result of the report coming out in the past couple of weeks is people are that like personal relationship with Shabd and with um, Sikh history and and sort of people feeling like there isn't a middle, a middleman telling them what to do or how to do it is really, really helpful, especially for people who feel far away from that stuff, like bringing those resources straight to a person and saying, okay, here's what we got. Here's what we figured out in terms of ret now you can read this and figure out where you stand or don't stand, what questions you're wrestling with. Um, to have that like personal relationship in the context of this issue, I think has sparked a lot of really cool conversations. Um, and maybe, I don't know, my hope is that those conversations turn into, I guess, empathy <laughs> and just more empathy yeah. and more nuance to the conversations, more of an understanding that we're all like growing at all times and, and having this information hopefully, like sort of imbibing those values will change the conversations that we're having um, for the better so that we're gentler and and sort of less judgmental of each other. So that when it comes to issues like, well, have you considered the way that a sangath might treat somebody who is pregnant out of wedlock, for example, a thing that we don't mm-hmm. really do I know wedlock is a very old school term, but here we go. <laughs> But but those are questions we don't think about because I remember in the survey somebody said, well, the guru can just like set up a house and give all these people money so that they Mm -hmm. can like raise their kids if they don't have the money for it. It's like, well, what is our lived reality? Like, how do we actually treat people like that? Um, And and honestly, I think that's part of the difficult conversation is is acknowledging that we don't really do right by a lot of people in our in our community. And so if we can further like Add nuance to that conversation. Add more context to that conversation. Then maybe that also means that we work as a community to create spaces for people like the, who are who are trying to wrestle with this question and actually support them in ways that we haven't been able to in the past. Um, yeah, I think yeah because I think a lot of times when we think about it, we we sort of we put ourselves in the best possible light without maybe even realizing we're doing it. And I think there's agreed. A- I- yeah.
0: Yeah, I think like with abor- abortion um at the point that you're making that decision is a symptom of um that your your situation be it class, be it patriarchy, pressure to produce sons, be it um ideas of your value inside or outside of marriage. And um I heard a woman who was Christian talking about being pro-life, and if I am to use that binary term, um, she said that she was pro-life in every sense of the word. So not just birth, but every life um, in every intersecting identity and supporting life throughout the entire process. And so I, I think that is definitely something we can take on as six as well, which is if we are going to value life, valuing all life, not just the process of conception and birth, but um, how do we support women? How do we make a world where a woman does not have to consider things like money and reputation and value um, when she's making that decision? And in the ideal world, the only thing you would consider would be, what does Barney say? And how am I making this decision um, as an extension of a Kalpura, can my body as an extension of the divine? Um, but that's not the lived experience. And what we know to be true in ideals, we can't use to judge people who are having a very lived, real, a real and lived experience. It's uh, it, the harm doesn't stop just because we believe something with all of our heart. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I guess that's my hope is that we, is that we work as a as a bunt to, to address maybe the uncomfortable things that have come up in conversation as a result of this report. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for you and
0: for the Sikri team and everyone who participated. Um, and if folks want to continue being a part of a uh, state of the bunt, uh, please follow Sikri on all of their social media platforms. Join the mailing list. You will get access to all of the uh, surveys when they do come out. Um, You are the only folks that were brave enough to take this on and to put in a year um, prepping this and doing this mindfully um, and for starting a conversation that everyone was too afraid to have. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining me all the way from DC.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for tuning in and listening to Jocelyn Gore's interview as she talked about her report on Sikhi and abortion. For other state of the month reports or other work this Sikri does, you can go to their website. If you're interested in attending any one of their in-person events or their content, you can also find details on their website. Please continue to reuse the report in your community work and we'll catch you next time on Core to Core, a heart-to-heart series where Sikh women interview other Sikh women who create content.